How you guys doing tonight? Good? You want more of Jesus? If you want more of Jesus, I found the secret. You've got to give more of yourself to him. You really do. I'm looking forward to teaching tonight. Uh, it's been a while. They're even going to let this old pastor teach sometime in July on Sunday morning, so that's a good thing. But tonight, I've, I've got a great friend of mine that's here that uh, I've known a long time. His name is Mike Howard. Mike, why don't you stand up? We used to call him Howie, and he's one of the old Jesus freaks. You wouldn't believe it by, you wouldn't believe it by looking at him, but he had hair about down to here, long hair, and a beard about this big, and it was red. So, but it's good. He came by tonight, and we hung out and ate some food. I could probably just tell you story after story of what God did in his life and in my life. Unbelievable things. We saw God do some pretty miraculous things. And God used us, and uh, it's good to see him. We haven't seen each other in about eight years, and he just called me up and said, hey, I'm coming into town. And I said, I said, well, if you come Wednesday, I'm teaching. And he said, preach it, bro. I'm going to be there. So uh, it, it's good having him. It really is. It's good being back talking to you guys and stuff. I missed church the last two weeks. I was up uh, tent camping with my little grandson, six six years old, and my son, and we had just a great time, and I played hooky the week before. I guess I shouldn't be doing that, huh? But uh, it's good. It's good to be back. I miss you guys. It's good to have the family of God. It truly is. And Sterling, thanks for sharing your heart, brother. I really appreciate that. I get a little emotional sometimes. I turn into Jeff when I get up here, so I don't... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the platform or something. Maybe it's I'm just getting old. And, and, and thank you, Jeremy and Alicia, for leading us in worship. Sweet time of worship tonight. Sweet time. I, I miss that. I miss the corporate worship together. And, it was, and what I love about Wednesday night is I get to hear your guys singing. I hear your voices. And I don't know if that touches you the way that it touches my heart, but, boy, it really does. It really does. And one day, when we're all in heaven, and hopefully that's going to be soon, we're all going to be worshiping Jesus for eternity. Amen? Amen. And that's going to be great. Well, let's get into scriptures tonight. Got a lot to go, and hopefully I won't be too winded. Uh, we're going to finish up chapter 19 tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. There's daylight at the end of the tunnel. Only got two more chapters to do after this, and it's been a long time. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this that, uh, you know, Jesus' ministry and his ministry now has come to an end. He's already been crucified. That he was plagued by the Jewish leaders. Just plagued by them. They were plotting to kill him, to catch him in a trap. These religious leaders were so full of envy and so full of insecurities. We'll follow those things from time to time too. Those insecurities. They struggled with them tremendously. And I was thinking about our insecurities. That they can cause us to do things. And to say things that are so hurtful. Their insecurities caused them to take a man who had no sin. And put him on a cross. 
They did nothing wrong. But yet they were so full of this envy and insecurity. It's terrible. Pride is usually a sign of insecurity. If you struggle with pride, I can tell you that you're probably insecure. You know, you've ever been around people who boast, you know, of their intelligence or their accomplishments and those kind of things. That's just pride. But that pride comes from their insecurities. It's an unfortunate thing that they are so insecure. And church, listen. Our security is in Jesus only. Only Jesus. Amen? Not in your jobs, not your relationships, not in your status, not in your money, not on any of those kind of things. It's always in Jesus. And your significance, which a lot of people wrestle with, your significance isn't based in any other thing except for Jesus. And really, your significance, what I'm talking about there, and I just felt I needed to share this, Pastor, that that's your value, that's your worth. That stuff, that security that you have, it's in Christ. It's only in Christ. And you want to know why? Because he created you, and he created me. That gives us value. Our world has value to him. He loves everybody. He loves them. Listen, sinner or saint, he loves us the same. And if they could just grab a hold of that and give their lives to Jesus and to believe just like John wanted them to believe, that's why he wrote this gospel, they could have such security in their life and such significance in their life. These leaders were completely convinced they were doing God's will. That's why they put him on the cross. The Apostle Paul later on picks up where they left off, and we know what he did. He went out there, and he started grabbing the Christians and killing them and dragging them off to jail. Totally convinced he was doing the right thing. And sometimes we're convinced that we're doing the right thing, and it isn't the right thing. But we could be totally convinced of that. Jesus came here to show us the love of the Father, to fulfill the law, the Old Testament. He came here... Not to judge people. He didn't come here to beat them over the head with the Bible and the law like the Pharisees did, like the religious leaders did. He came here to show them love. He trained 12 men, trained 70 besides that, took them along on a journey that he walked. He trained them to do what? Trained them to do the same stuff he did. To go out and minister the love of Jesus. To heal people, to bring wholeness to them. And then he empowers them. We find out in the book of Acts, about 40 days after he died, the day of Pentecost. You know, tonight what we look at is two secret disciples. Two secret disciples that were hiding in the shadows. Hiding in the shadows. And we'll see tonight where God truly kind of nudges them to get out of the shadows and to get out in the light and let people know that they are truly our disciples. Let's all stand up and let's honor God's word as we do as I read through this section. Thank the good Lord for his word. That's the rock we build our life on. John, verse 38 says, after Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. 
When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And notice this. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made with myrrh and alloys. Following Jesus' burial, excuse me, following Jews, Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before in verse 42. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. God, thank you again so much for your word. May we take your word and hide it in our life, Lord. I'm so thankful for it, Lord. I'm so thankful that you have given it to us, Lord. That it really is something that we can partake, that we can eat, and we can be satisfied. I pray tonight that you, Holy Spirit, just as our brother Sterling said, that you, Holy Spirit, would direct the words that I speak. And I know, Lord, because I spoke for a lot of years, that a lot of times people hear things I've never said. But that's you, Holy Spirit, speaking to the hearts of your church. Do that tonight, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? Well, who's this Joseph of Arimathea, the secret disciple? Who is he? Well, he lived in Arimathea. You can't really find it on any of the maps, but they say it was probably about three to eight miles uh, away from Jerusalem. In uh, Matthew 27, 57. And listen, the great things about the Gospels is we have the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are very, very similar to one another. That's why they call it the synoptic. And then you have John's Gospel, who's very, very different. And you've heard me say this before. When you study the Scriptures, use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And what's so wonderful about it, if maybe in John's Gospel, it doesn't give us enough information, we can go into Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and we can find out a lot of things. Well, John doesn't say much about, about this guy, Joseph. But guess what? Matthew 27, 57 said that he was a rich man. He was a rich man. You know, the Bible's real clear that it's very hard for anybody who is wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's tough. Matthew 19, 24, I think we've got it on the screen there. And these are Jesus' words. He says, I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Remember the other verse that, uh, and the other phrase that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you know, he says, you know, talking about judging one another, and he says, you know, you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, he says, you take the log out of yours. What's well, a hyperbole? That's the same thing that he's talking about here. He, he, he's giving kind of an extreme illustration to make a point. And the point is, look, you got a lot of money, it's going to be hard for you to come to the kingdom of God, because you know what? You don't think you need anything. And listen, money does shelter people from a lot of things, doesn't it? It truly does. Why do they need God? When you don't have anything, it's great. You know, you can come to Jesus and he'll give you some things. But they've got everything. It doesn't make you happy. What else does the Bible say? It says that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. We have to be careful with that, church. We truly do. So he was a rich man. And then... It says in Luke, again, here's a different gospel, 23, 50 through 51. It says this, that he was a good and he was a righteous man. You remember another person that the Bible says was a, was a righteous man? Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. So 
in righteousness. What does that mean? He was right with God. He was right with God. And that's what he's talking about here, that, that he has a, a, he's having a right relationship with him. He was a member of the high council, the Sanhedrin. Any of you heard of the Sanhedrin? Sure you have. Made up of 70 or 71 people, a high priest and a whole bunch of other religious leaders that were there. You know what that high council was like? They were like our Supreme Court. That's what they were. And they had Sanhedrin spread out through all the different countries that were out there. Not the countries, but the cities that were there. But the high council would sit there in Jerusalem. And what they would do is they would make judgments. They were the ruling body. And it was an amazing thing that I found out, that I learned. That's what's so great about teaching. You know, God's speaking to the teacher more than he speaks to you guys probably. But I found out that the Roman government gave the Jewish people somewhat of a a, a measure of self-rule. A little bit of self-rule. But they gave them limitations too. And he was a Sadducee, is what he was. Anybody know what a Sadducee was? You know what a Sadducee was? They were the ones that didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why we always used to say, they don't believe in the resurrection, that's why they're sad, you see. Because I knew that wasn't going over good. <laughs> but that'd be terrible, not to believe in some kind of resurrection. They didn't believe it. But there is resurrection, guys. I die, one day I will. The sooner the better. No, don't let my wife know that. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. I really do. But when I do, there's resurrection. I will be with the Lord. And another thing that it says about him is that he didn't agree with the decisions and the actions of all of these religious leaders, part of the Sanhedrin in Matthew 23, 51. I don't have it out there, but, but, but he was going against the Sanhedrin. They, they were plotting to kill Jesus. And, and what I see here is he's starting to come out of the shadow a little bit. He's hiding back there and he's starting to say, hang on a second here. Maybe we need to look at this guy a little bit differently than we're looking at. And it says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Man, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for Santa Claus. I was raised in a heathen home. So Santa Claus was like Jesus to us. I mean, he was like, I'm not kidding you, man. I mean, it's like he was the greatest thing that there ever was. I believed in him until I was about 50. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> but I believed in him a long time. And I remember when, I, when my friend finally told me it was a lie. I was crushed. I thought I lost my grandparent or something like that. But he was waiting for the kingdom of God. How many of you guys are waiting for the kingdom? Waiting for Jesus to come back? I hope you are. You know, he's a Jesus freak. You know, we used to be saying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. That was a lot of years ago, wasn't it, Mike? 1971, we were doing that. So don't do the math, then you know how old I am. And then it says he was a secret disciple. He was hiding in the shadows. Hiding in the shadows. You know, I saw the movie a while back. I was telling Pastor Jeff about, you know, Paul, the apostle of Christ. Did any of you guys see that movie? I think I mentioned it last time. Is that all? How many of you saw it? Paul, the apostle of Christ. You guys got to see that. You got to watch it. But it's pretty amazing. Nero was, was, was the Caesar at that time. And you guys ever remember Caesar? Some of you do, some of you don't. Some of you guys went to school and didn't pay attention. 
<laughs> but Nero was the, the guy that probably set Rome on, on fire. And he blamed the Christians for it. And he was the one grabbing the Christians, throwing them into the Colosseum, lighting them on fire. He was evil. Complete evil. Some of them thought he was the Antichrist. That was talked about in the book of Revelation because he was so evil. But this guy was running around and he was trying to kill people. So the Roman church, what it shows in that movie is they were hiding from him. They were hiding in the shadows because if they made too much noise, he was going to go out and kill them. So I guess there was a lot of somewhat secret disciples going on at that time. You know, you guys know 007, right? Bong, James Bong. Secret disciples, right? Jesus didn't have secret disciples. He didn't have some branch that he said, hey, I want you working behind the scenes for me doing this. Covert activity. Why were there secret disciples? Well, it says in John chapter 12, verse 42, that they feared the Jewish leaders, and it even said here, that's why it was a secret. They feared being kicked out of the synagogue, excommunicated, kicked out from the fellowship. You know, the Bible talks about that in the scriptures. That's what they used to do to Christian believers who really didn't act the way that they should. They kick them out of the church to put pressure on them, not because they didn't love them, but they put pressure on them to try and get them back into, in, into a place of repentance and come back into fellowship through all of that. We can't do that nowadays because there's 50,000 churches around. They just go you know, one church to the next church. Are there secret disciples today? Yeah, I think so. You guys think so? There's probably too many of them that are out there. Why are they secret? Why are there some Christians that hide in the shadows? Why think they're afraid of rejection? Ever feel rejection? They're afraid of being ridiculed because they call themselves a Christian. Call themselves a Christian. Man, when we were running around and we'd head down to the beach in vans, man, and all the guys that we used to party with and go crazy with, and then we got saved, we'd come down in a big old van. You remember that, Mike? And we're coming down to preach to these guys. And they used to just laugh at us and ridicule us and everything else. But we got some of them saved. Or I should say Jesus did. We put up with the ridicule and the rejection that we got. Listen, it takes a lot of courage and strength to step out of the shadows. It truly is. When did Joseph believe? I don't know. It doesn't really say when he did. The only thing that's important, he did believe. What about this Nicodemus guy that they talk about here? Mentioned three times in the scriptures, and only in the book of John. Only in the book of John. John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and John chapter 19, which we're looking at right here. Who was he? He was a Pharisee. Not a Sadducee, but a Pharisee. And they were keepers of the law, strict keepers of the law. They didn't live by the spirit of the law, but by the letter of the law. In other words, what I'm trying to say is they were, they were very legalistic in the things that they did. They had to abide by it, or they felt terrible about it. Jesus referred to Nicodemus as a respected teacher of the law when he came and talked to him in John chapter 3. If you haven't read that account, and I know we already went through it, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, interesting. So he knew he was a teacher of the law. The Pharisees really ministered out of pride. My observation is that, not love. Or pride. 
There's a lot of leaders that operate out of pride rather than love. And that's not what we're supposed to do. They judged those around them. They had no compassion, no empathy. They gave no grace. They gave no mercy. That's why God didn't give them that. The Pharisees were all about appearances. How they looked on the outside. Whether they looked the part or whether they didn't look the part. A lot of Christians do that. They look great when they come to church on Sunday. But they get outside of the church. Completely different story. Listen to this story that Jesus has. And we've got this in, uh, on the screen, I think. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It's unbelievable. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. That's pride. And they scorned everybody else. That's them pointing their fingers and judging people. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. He's an IRS man. Nobody likes paying taxes, right? <laughs> you know that. The Pharisee stood by him and prayed this. This is the Pharisee. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everybody else. How prideful is that? For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. He's saying, look at my moral life, how it is. And then he goes into this whole spiritual thing here. I fast twice a week. I hate fasting. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. Wow. A tenth. A tenth of his income. That's a good thing. But the tax collector, notice him, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. What humility that man. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. Justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. These Pharisees are the same guys who Jesus called hypocrites. Called them whitewashed tombs. In other words, he says, you know, you look like you got it going together. He says, but there's no life. There's nothing there. In God's eyes, he looked at him and said, there's nothing. There is nothing there. Now I was thinking about the Pharisees. And I was thinking about that spirit of, of, of being a Pharisee or that added attitude of a Pharisee. We can all get there, guys. We can have that that, that, Pharise, that Pharisee attitude, you know, I'm better than that brother. I'm more spiritual than she is. I'm closer to God than that person. I know the word better. I'm holier. And the list can just go on and on and on. It's, it's that finger pointing that we do from time to time. Unfortunately, I think the church is full of a lot of Pharisees nowadays. It's terrible. Jesus didn't do that to that woman caught in adultery, did he? Man, he loved her. Boy, did he love her. I look at that and go, wow. She could have been stoned. And Jesus loved her. Go and sin no more. I love you. Nicodemus is the guy who came to Jesus at night to ask questions. It doesn't say who he asked questions for. Was he asking it for the Sanhedrin, for this high council? Or was he asking it for his own personal I think he was asking it 
because he had questions. That he truly, that God was stirring in his heart and as he heard Jesus speak and as other people were telling him about Jesus and maybe even saw some miracles, there began to be a stirring in his heart and there began to be this seeking heart that would start wanting to go towards Jesus, the Messiah. I really believe that's what happened to him. But he came at night. And that's why I think it really was for his own personal thing rather than for the Sanhedrin, for the high council. He didn't want them know, knowing that he was out there asking questions. But I believe he was starting to seek. There's an amazing verse. John chapter 6, verse 65 says this. And uh, Jesus is saying this. He says, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. Listen. God the Father draws people to Jesus. God the Father does that. Our responsibility is to pray for people. Every one of you are here tonight. I can guarantee it. And if you're a believer, you're here because someone was praying for you. Someone was praying that God would send somebody into your life or that you would, you would begin to want to seek after God. Or maybe they even prayed, Lord, to strip it all away from them. So all they got left to do is to look up. But that's our point. That's our place in that. God draws and we pray. He was a member of the high council, the Sanhedrin. John chapter 7, verse 50 and 51. Uh, you know, Nick, it's amazing that I called him Nick. Nicodemus uh, really stood out just like, like Joseph did. Remember, Joseph was kind of making a stand with the Sanhedrin and saying, hey, listen, you know, just back off a little bit. It's coming out of the shadows. Nicodemus was doing the same thing. He said, look, we can't condemn this man, as I said in John there, unless we hear from him first. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, he sh they should have brought him in there and he should have spoke to them all and did all that. They didn't want anything to do with it. So he's coming out of the shadows is what he's doing. They were stepping out of the shadows to bury Jesus. They made a transition from secret disciple to true disciples. And what I mean by that is living out in the open for Jesus. Living out in the open for Jesus. Here's your tabletop for tonight, all right? What made these secret disciples come out of the shadows to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial? All right, we should have it up on the thing. So let's take about five minutes, all right? Think about it. Talk about it. Well, here's why I think they came out of the shadows. Well, the thing that kind of made them came out as I looked at it, or at least what the Lord spoke to my heart, was I think that their love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus. As I said before, they gave their life to the Lord. And when you give your life to the Lord, you give your heart to Him. And that heart... That love, I think, was growing as the years went by, maybe months went by. I don't know exactly when they did, but I believe that it was that love. You know, love can make a person do some, peri some very courageous things. It truly can. You love a person enough, just like that verse that Sterling put on there, you're going to lay your life down for that person. I know I'd lay my life down for my family. Maybe for some of you. Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it can cause us to do some very courageous things. 
And I think also the second thing is that God prompted them. God the Father prompted them to take his son's body off of the cross to fulfill scriptures. He wasn't supposed to be left on there. Listen what it says here in, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. The body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury that body the same day. For anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. And in Galatians, Paul picks up on the same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, which we should have up there. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Remember what I said about the law. The law tells us you're a sinner. Tells me I'm a sinner. I'm cursed because I'm a sinner. And it says this, when he was hung on the cross, he took himself, excuse me, he took upon himself the curse, our curse, the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You know what the Romans would do? I found this out, too. I didn't know this. See, this old guy's still learning some stuff. They, when they would put in, in uh, I, th I think I've got a, do I got a slide up there? You know what the Romans would do? And it just sounds hideous. It really does. When someone was crucified up there, and listen, that was the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. And that's what happened to our Savior. They would let the bodies rot up there. That's literally what they would do. And they'd let the animals and everything else just rot it right off of there. But the amazing thing is, is that Joseph, this man hiding in the shadows, this man who was part of the Sanhedrin, the high council, goes and asks Pilate permission to take him down. That's probably Joseph over there on the side with the other soldiers that are up there helping him take it down. And you know what Pilate did? He granted them an exemption to take him down. See, God's working behind the scenes. You've heard me say that a lot lately because he always is, guys. He's working behind the scenes in every one of your lives and in my lives. Always. We can never see what God is always doing. You'll, you'll see it sometimes when you're an old guy like me. You'll look back even 50 years. Have we known Jesus 50 years? Yeah, long time. And, and you know that God had done certain things in your life. He's working behind the scenes in each and every one of your lives right now. Right now. He asked permission and he put upon Pilate's heart to give an exception to the rule. Listen, that was a dis difficult task. How emotional that must have been for, for him to do that. How emotional that was. How, how physical was that? How physical that must have been. You know, we've all been around someone who's died, and it can be very emotional to us. You know, I, lost, I lost four of my grandparents, one on side of my mom and dad's and one on uh, you know my mom's side and my dad's side. I lost them all within three months in 1988 wow that was so emotional these are two believers working together two wealthy men that probably had servants and slaves do everything for them but being prompted 
by God and by the love for Jesus, they went out there and did something they never did before. They took such a, 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 a big risk at what they were doing. It's unbelievable. It truly is. They came out of the shadows and it was a big deal. This was their first big act of faith and their first big act of love that they ever did. Remember, faith is proven by our actions. James, brother of Jesus, chapter 2, verse 14. We should have it up there. This is what he said. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? You ever been around a person that says they're a Christian, but they really don't live like it? They don't really, there isn't any action, there isn't any substance to it. You don't really see anything that's there. That's what James is saying. There was a lot of people saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know, during the Jesus movement, it got faddish to be a Christian. It truly did, to be a Jesus. I'm a Jesus freak. People wearing shirts with it and everything. It was cool. They were putting this on TV and, you know, and newspapers and everything else. But we have to prove our faith. We truly do. There's fruit out of our faith. Nicodemus provided 75 pounds of perfume. They said that's enough perfume that would, he says it was so much that that's what they did for kings. They used that much perfume. He was the king of kings, wasn't he? They followed the Jewish burial custom. They washed and cleaned the body. Another thing that I learned that I didn't know. You know that they had to remove every foreign piece of stuff that was on his body. And I started thinking about it. Wow, that means that all those splinters that were all over his back, they had to remove all of those. The, the thorns that were pierced into his head, they had to pull them all out, and then they had to wash the body completely clean. I didn't know that. Again, how emotional that was. How how humbling that must have been for them to do that to their Savior. How humbling that was to them. They wrapped them in spices and linen cloth. They placed them in a new tomb. I have the picture up there, I think. Are we going to see that, Jeff, when we go to Jerusalem? I'm going in March. Never been there. Never really wanted to go. Sat here in the one night or the one day Jeff's talking about it. I looked at my wife. And I said, we're going to Jerusalem. <laughs> She's like looking at me like, are you crazy? But I want to see that. I've never really wanted it. It wasn't time, you know. I'm retired, so I guess I can do whatever I want nowadays. Most of those tombs were uh, kind of carved out of limestone, and they would use them over and over and over again. And, and they would put the bodies in there, and they would decay. It would take... Sometimes a year, maybe sometimes two years, and then just the bones that were left there. But when I was thinking about this, I go, wow, how convenient. God provided the tomb for him. He's Jehovah Jireh, right? He's our provider. He provided his own son with the tomb. And it was probably Joseph's tomb, his family tomb, this rich man's tomb. Remember, we were just reading there that, you know, it was going to be a, like a wealthy man's tomb. It was. Some people think, you know, I don't know if Jeremy, he probably already knows this. 
I didn't know this. They, they think Joseph might have even been his uncle. You ever hear that one, Jeremy? You didn't hear that? Or you heard it tonight? Don't take that to the bank, all right? That's just something that they said. I don't know. But you know the amazing thing, and we're wrapping this up real soon here. Joseph and Nicodemus didn't really know that their choice to put Jesus in Joseph's tomb fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy spoken hundreds of years earlier. Isaiah 53, 9 says this. And I guess this is the verse I'm thinking of. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the what? The rich in his death. Though he had not done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It's a great story. And we're wrapping this up. Great story of two secret disciples. Two guys that were hanging out in the shadows for a long time. Hanging out in the shadows. They overcame their what? Their fear of rejection and their fear of being ridiculed. And some of you might experience that in your life right now. Some of you maybe who are newer believers. How many of you known the Lord for less than five years? Put your hands up. Okay, not that many. How many of you have known the Lord for less than 10? 15. 20. 25. 30, 35. No, no, I'm just kidding. Good. You don't want to know how long we've known him, right? But each of us kind of might face that fear from time to time of being rejected if we really stand up for him. Or being ridiculed. And that's okay. Take a risk. Take a risk just like these disciples did. They honored God as they had never done before. They did a tremendous act. It took so much courage for them to just take that step of faith. And, and I'm telling you, what happens sometimes when, when we're a little afraid to say something, if we just kind of step out, God meets us right where we are. I got one last verse. 2 Timothy 2, 7 through 8. Young Pastor Timothy. You think pastors have a lot of courage sometimes. And man, they can just give it all they want. That's not true. That's not true. Look what Paul says to young Timothy, who was probably eh, a little fearful. For God has not given us, and he means Timothy, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never, he says, be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. Church, don't be ashamed. You're bringing the best message that anybody could ever hear. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm, a I'm in prison for him. And look at this. This is where you, you take that step and God meets you. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. The sake of the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for dying for me and dying for my brothers and sisters, for dying for this world, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for giving us significance and security in you. Help us always to place our faith in you, the anchor and the source of our faith, Lord. I thank you so much for the journey you've taken me on. I thank you so much for the journey that you're taking all of us on together as a church and also as individuals. You're not done with us yet, Lord. 
You're not done with this world yet. You've got many thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of souls to save. We want to, Lord, take a risk for you and to step out and to bring that message of love and hope and goodness. Keep us so far away from that Pharisee attitude and that Pharisee spirit that's out there. Help us to come and give that love to people. They do desperately need it, Lord. They need love, acceptance. They need forgiveness. And thank you so much for giving that in our lives. I pray, God, that as my brothers and sisters leave tonight, they go out in the power of your Holy Spirit, just like the first century church did. I pray that tomorrow will give them opportunities to shine for you, to be Christians, to be Christians who are standing, not in the shadows, but right out there in the open, Lord. We'll take the ridicule, Lord. We really will. We'll take the rejection because you got it. And we thank you so much that we can identify with you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we all said, amen. Give them heaven, guys.